0: We're going through the book of Nehemiah together, we are coming into a, a landing soon. Um, this morning I've entitled my teaching, But God Being Rich in Mercy. And I'm taking that from Ephesians chapter 2, actually. Can I read that as we begin? Ephesians 2, verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course, all right, and God bless you guys. I think God brought you here for a reason, for a few minutes. So I'm glad you were here, and may you find uh, what God is taking you to now. God bless you guys. I I liked it, (laughs) but you liked it, but it might be too long for you too, because I go a long time. Bless you guys. Yes, have a good day. Ephesians 2.1, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we once all lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind, and here it is, but God being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Father, this morning as we come to you through your word, through Nehemiah 9, my heart's desire you know is that your greatness would be made known, that you would be seen as you are, that we would be moved to greater love and devotion. For Jesus Christ, and we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 51.1 says this, Have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. My prayer today from teaching through Nehemiah 9 is that we would be so moved by a greater understanding and awareness of the mercy of god that it would lead us to a deeper devotion and love for jesus christ and without being too hyperbolic as i was studying this i almost felt like i got saved again as i encountered these truths in the word of god and i began to think about them and allowed the holy spirit to speak to me it was just it's been a great time of study and preparation. I just want to tell you how blessed those of us who get to teach the Word of God are by being able to prepare and spend so much time in the Word. And I know I, and I'm sure Matt would say the same, we appreciate the fact that we are able to give our time to that fully because of the support of you guys supporting us. So thank you for that, so that we can study the Word of God and bring it to you on Sundays. I'm going to t- read all the way through Nehemiah 9. It is a long chapter. I'm not going to apologize because you'll see in a moment that Nehemiah made them stand for half a day <laughs> as they read the law of God, and then they, they uh, worshiped and repented. Um, it, it was a half of a day total, I think. So this is going to take a while, but I'll tell you as you listen to this this morning, put yourself in this, okay? Okay. Don't just read it and hear it as history, which it is, but let your own life be somehow found in this wherever God might place it. Isaiah 9, now on the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth and with earth, with dirt on their heads. And the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. Then they stood up in their place and they read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day. And for another quarter of it, they made confession and worshiped the Lord their God. On the stairs of the Levites stood Jeshua, Bani, Camille, Shebaniah, Bani, Sherebiah, Bani and Chenani, and they cried with a loud voice to the Lord their God. Then the Levites, Yeshua, Kadmiel, Bani, Hashbaniah, Serabiah, Hodiah, Shebaniah, and Pethaiah said, stand up and bless the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name which is exalted above all blessing and praise. Verse 6, you are the Lord, you alone, and we say today, amen. amen. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens with all their host; the earth and all that is, in, that is on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them, and the host of heaven worships you. You are the Lord, the God who chose Abram and brought him up out of Ur of the Chaldeans and gave him the name Abraham. You found his heart faithful before you and you made with him in the covenant to give to his offspring the land of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Jebusite, and the Girgashite. And you have kept your promise for you are righteous. And you saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt and you heard their cry at the Red Sea and performed signs and wonders against Pharaoh and all his servants and all the people of his land. For you knew that they acted arrogantly against our fathers. And you made a name for yourself as it is to this day. And you've divided the sea before them. So they went Through the midst of the sea on dry land, and you cast their pursuers into the depths as a stone into mighty waters. By a pillar of cloud you led them in the day, and by a pillar of fire in the night, to light for them the way in which they should go. You came down on Mount Sinai, and you spoke with them from heaven, and you gave them right rules and true laws and good statutes and commandments, and you made known to them your holy Sabbath and commanded them commandments and statutes and a law by Moses, your servant. You gave them bread from heaven for their hunger and brought water for them out of the rock for their thirst, and you told them to go in to possess the land that you had sworn to give them. Verse 16, but they and our fathers acted presumptuously and stiffened their neck and did not obey your commandments. They refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them. But they stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and you did not forsake them. <clears throat> Even when they had made for themselves a golden calf and said, this is your God who brought you up out of Egypt and, <clears throat> and had committed great blasphemies, you in your great mercy did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud to lead them in the way did not depart from them by day, nor the pillar of fire by night to light for them the way by which they should go. You gave your good spirit to instruct them, and did not withhold your manna from their mouth, and gave them water for their thirst. Forty years you sustained them in the wilderness, and they lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out, and their feet did not swell. And you gave them kingdoms and peoples and allotted to them every corner. So they took possession of the land of Sihon, the king of Heshbon, and the land of Og, the king of Bashan. You multiplied their children as the stars of heaven. And you brought them into the land that you had told their fathers to enter and possess. So the descendants went in and possessed the land and you subdued before them the inhabitants of the land the Canaanites and gave them into their hand with their kings and the peoples of the land that they might do with them as they would and they captured fortified cities and a rich land and they took possession of houses full of all good things and cisterns that were already hewn and vineyards and olive orchards and fruit trees in abundance so they ate and were filled and became fat and delighted themselves In your great goodness, verse 26, Nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against you and cast your law behind their back and killed your prophets who had warned them in order to turn them back to you. And they committed great blasphemies. Therefore, you gave them into the hand of their enemies who made them suffer. And in the time of their suffering, they cried out to you and you heard them from heaven. And according to your great mercies, you gave them saviors who saved them from the hand of their enemies. But after they had rest, they did evil again before you, and you abandoned them to the hand of their enemies so that they had dominion over them. Yet when they turned and cried to you, you heard from heaven, and many times you delivered them according to your mercies, and you warned them in order to turn back to your law. Yet they acted presumptuously and did not obey your commandments. But sinned against your rules, which if a person does them, he shall live by them. And they turned a stubborn shoulder and stiffened their neck and would not obey. Many years you bore with them and warned them by your spirit through your prophets. Yet they would not give ear. Therefore you gave them into the hand of the peoples of the lands. Nevertheless, in your great mercies, you did not make an end of them or forsake them, for you are a gracious and merciful God. Now therefore, our God, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love, let not all the hardships seem little to you that has come upon us, but upon our kings, our princes, our priests, our prophets, our fathers, and all your people, since the time of the kings of Assyria until this day. Yet you have been righteous in all that has come upon us, for you have dealt faithfully, and we have acted wickedly. Our kings, our princes, our priests, and our fathers have not kept your law or paid attention to your commandments and your warnings that you gave them. Even in your own kingdom, and amid your great goodness that you gave them, and in the large and rich land that you set before them, they did not serve you or turn from their wicked works. Behold, we are slaves this day in the land that you gave to our fathers to enjoy its fruit and its good gifts. Behold, we are slaves. And its rich yield goes to the kings whom you have set over us because of our sins. They rule our bodies and over our livestock as they please, and we are in great distress. Because of all this, we make a firm covenant in writing. On the sealed document are the names of our princes our Levites, and our priests. This chapter is amazing. It's probably one of the most beautiful and powerful prayers, probably one of the most powerful, beautiful prayers in the Bible. And I think it's because it represents the very heart of God and how it highlights the way that God views the history of his people, not the way they viewed it, the way he viewed it. And it reveals, above all other prayers, perhaps, the amazing, unending mercy of God toward them, in spite of their repeated unfaithfulness to him. Praise God that Roe v. Wade was overthrown. Yet we as could, as did the Israelites, can become complacent when the hand of God moves on our behalf. We live in a nation that is in rebellion against God, and yet God in his mercy has shown kindness to this nation. Amen. This chapter in its beginning, especially verses one through five, can be confusing in light of what we read in chapter eight that Kevin taught on last week because Ezra and Nehemiah in chapter eight, if you remember, told the people after the reading of the law to go and have a feast of joy. That took place on the second day of the seventh month, and now we find this chapter taking place on the 24th day of the same month, a little more than three weeks after they were told to go and have a feast of joy. Usually we think of repentance followed by joy, not joy followed by repentance. And yet in this chapter we have, in these two chapters back to back, we have the record of the people of Israel going from feasting and joy to fasting and repentance, The question that many commentators ask is why? I believe, and this is my assumption, is that it's because of what Paul says in Romans chapter 7, verse 13. Verses 7 through 13, and I'll, I'll read it to you quickly. Because I want you to hear it from Paul's words as he said it. What shall we say, that the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. Listen. For I would have not known what it is to covet if the law had not said, don't covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity in me, all kinds of, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, listen, sin lies dead. is good in order that sin might shown to be sin. You see, when the law of God was read to the people of Israel, remember they had forsaken the law for many, 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 many years. And when the law was restored to their hearts, it awakened in them their consciousness of their sin. The awareness of their sinfulness. And so where they had been feasting, And rejoicing, because it had been restored, they had been then cut to the core by the reality of what the law was revealing to them as they listened to it again. And unlike us, they had no hope of ever relieving their guilt and ever dealing with their self-condemnation, which was justly due, because their sins were not atoned for. It says in verse 2 of chapter, ten, chapter 9 that they separated themselves from all the foreigners as they stood and confessed their sins. And this makes sense because their participation, that foreigners, in the confession of the Israelites would have been impossible because they were confessing the sins of their fathers, not of the foreigners among them's fathers. It was a prayer of repentance. So this prayer that is recorded in this chapter is intended to instruct us by giving us a survey of Israel history, the history of Israel, with an emphasis on the key events in the life of the nation. And if you would read the Psalms, you'll find that it is very comparable to Psalm 78, Psalm 105, Psalm 106, and Psalm 135, which also recount the history of Israel. But Psalm 78 has a wisdom theme. Psalm 105 has a thanksgiving theme. Psalm 106 has a theme closer to Nehemiah 9. And Psalm 135 parallels also Nehemiah 9. But all of these psalms, as do Nehemiah 9, have the overarching theme that Israel has been unfaithful to the Lord in spite of his great acts of kindness toward them. And a theme clearly is that only on account of God's infinite patience and great mercy did he refuse to abandon them. But what they received was due to their own sin and their own ingratitude. You've heard it said, and it is very accurate, that grace is receiving what we do not deserve. Mercy is not getting what we do deserve. Grace is getting what we don't deserve from God. Mercy is not getting what we do deserve. The two go hand in hand in the revelation of salvation. It's hard to separate them, but they are distinctly different. And I really believe that when we dwell only on the grace of God, apart from understanding the mercy of God, we're missing the power of the gospel. And I think to dwell only on the grace of God can lead to presumption and to a lack of gratitude and to sinning easily because we think that grace covers it. But if we would take time and think on the mercy of God, we realize that God has been so kind to us through our lives and not giving us what we deserve and not dealing with us as we deserve. There are eight parts to this prayer that I'm going to look at, hopefully very briefly. I'm not going to spend a long time on each of them. But I want to show show you what each of these eight parts are. The first is that it breaks down this way. There is praise for God as the creator. In verse 6. There is the election of Abraham and the covenant that God made with him. In verses 7 and 8. There are the powerful acts of God in Egypt. While they were in Egypt. In verses 9 through 11. There was the care and the nurture of God while they were in the desert, in the wilderness, in verse 12. The great acts of God and their disobedience are revealed in verses 13 through 21. They conquered and entered the land in verses 22 through 25. The unfaithfulness of Israel and God's patience while they were in the land, verses 26 through 31. And their confession of sin, verses 32 So this prayer is both a confession and an exhortation because the author, Ezra, probably Ezra, feels and identifies with the unfaithfulness of his ancestors and he's feeling the burden of the current sin that was weighing down the people of God. And true to the history of Israel, which is true throughout their whole history, They repaid the mercy and kindness of God with their ingratitude on every occasion. And they were punished by the Lord. And then they would be faithful for a while. But as soon as they entered into prosperity, they would forget the Lord again and become unfaithful. And it says two times, I don't know if you caught it, and I read it, they committed great blasphemies. Twice it says that. They literally blasphemed the Lord. And yet it says repeatedly in that chapter, and you can underline it if you read it on your own, yet God showed them great mercy and did not forsake them. This is an ancient theme of Israel crying out to God, God answering, and then forgetting God, and then crying out and God answering and them forgetting and rebelling. And brothers and sisters, it's a common theme today. How easily we forget the kindness of God. If we look at each of these individually quickly, it begins with praise and worship in verse 6 of God as creator. Verse six says, for you are the Lord, you alone, you have made the heavens, the heaven of heavens with all their hosts, the earth and all that is in it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them, and the host of heaven worships you. This is a common theme of Psalms, the greatness of God as creator, it's where we must begin. This is the theme of Romans 1, Paul speaks of creation, and that all men are without excuse because of creation, they've seen that God exists because of the beauty of creation. Theologically, that's called general revelation, that every man is without excuse because the creation of God speaks of the greatness of God. That's called general revelation. There is special revelation, which comes by the Holy Spirit through the word of God. But every man will be held accountable because of general revelation. Before I was saved, right before I got saved, I was backpacking in the Sierras. And as was my norm, I was high, and I was sitting on a rock, looking down at a river in a canyon by myself. And as I sat there, an eagle flew down the canyon over the river, but he was right about my height, my level. A huge, giant, incredibly beautiful eagle. And he wasn't moving. They don't move their wings. He was gliding, moving across the river, looking at the river. But suddenly, as he came by me, he looked at me. And I never will forget that. I was not a believer yet. But after I got saved, I remember re- bringing that up in my mind that it was God. It was God awakening me. At that time, I would have said, I'm agnostic. I don't know if there is a God. But that day, something in my heart was awakened to where I began to be real- realize again, yes, there is a God. There is a God that I'm accountable to, that I must somehow understand what he wants of me. And it wasn't long after that. By the grace of God, he called me to be his own. This is where it must begin, is our understanding of God as creator. Paul speaks of the creation as a means of God revealing himself so that men are without excuse. And then he says in Romans 1, their failure to acknowledge and honor God as creator leads to a futility in thinking and a darkened heart and a deceived heart. And that's what we are dealing with today in the society and the culture in which we live. Men denying God. Worshipping the creation rather than the creator. And so they are futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts are darkened. Romans through 25 Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity. This has been a filthy month, filthy month of impurity. God giving them over in their lusts to this impurity the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged why Paul because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who was blessed forever and the church says amen praise and worship it began there for God as creator then the prayer went into this by the way this is not a model for us for prayer in one sense, because we could never pray this way with the same perspective, perhaps, as Ezra and Nehemiah did that day. But it is a model in another way because it gives us a sense of what is important to God as we pray. He recalls the election of Abraham and the covenant that God entered into him in verses seven and eight. He says, you are the Lord, who, the God who chose, listen, the God who chose Abram, and brought him up out of Ur of the Chaldeans, and gave him the name Abraham. Brothers and sisters, this is one of the clearest examples in Scripture of the truth of sovereign election in the Bible. If you struggle with the theological reality of election, here it is. God chose one man to be his own, he said to him in Genesis 12, one through three, the Lord said to Abraham, leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous. Leave your native country. You see, we emphasize so often people struggle with election because they're worrying about the ones who were not chosen. The reality is none deserve to be chosen. All are sinners. All are under the wrath of God. All deserve death. All deserve hell. But God in his mercy chose some to be his own. We don't know who he's chosen. We preach the gospel to all men. It's God's will to save whom he will, not man's. And it's not man's choice to believe. It's God's sovereign will to bring us to faith. And this example in Genesis of, Abraham, of Abram is the perfect example in scripture. The first example and the clearest example of election. And the 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 chapter reveals that they thought of this. They realized this. They remembered this. This was a seminal moment in human history because God entered into covenant with Abram. And in that covenant was this promise to bless all the families of the earth through Abram. God spoke this promise again to him in chapter 15 of Genesis. And it says in chapter 15 and verse six that Abram what? Believed God. And it, it would count it to him as righteousness. So Paul, centuries later, would say that a man is saved not by the basis of his own work or effort, but by faith alone, the same kind of faith that Abram exercised. And so in Ezra and Nehemiah's mind, I believe that this promise of, to Abram in this covenant that God made with him was tied to the rest that they entered into as they entered the land. But we today know that it was speaking of something even much greater than that. It's the rest of God in Christ. We have entered into the rest. And the promise that God made to Abraham, we are the benefactors of. His promise to bless the nations of the earth, you and I are the recipients of. Isn't that amazing? The prayer goes on in verses 9 through 11 to speak of the powerful acts of God while they were in Egypt. Verses 9 and 10, it says this, and you saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt and you heard their cry at the Red Sea and you performed signs and wonders against Pharaoh and all his servants and all the people of his land for you knew that they acted arrogantly against our fathers. And I love this. And then it says, and you made a name for yourself as it is to this day. We know the acts of the Lord were regarded as the most important saving events in Israel's history, the Passover, and then leading him through the waters as Pharaoh followed them. And those great and wonderful acts of God were still remembered by the author of this prayer. You see, it is important for the people of God to remember the power of the Lord over their mighty enemies, just as God saved Israel Israel from Pharaoh. We must remember the power of God over our enemies when we need salvation and deliverance from our enemies. God is able. Say that with me. God is able. He is a mighty God. He is a saving God. He is a merciful God. He is a delivering God. And you made for yourself a name as it is to this day. God is glorified as we recount, as these men recounted that day, his power and his faithfulness toward them and toward us in our lives. God has set me free. God has delivered me from great enemies. He has kept my life in times of great distress. It goes on in verse 12, and it speaks of the powerful and the loving, kind care of God in the desert. Verse 12, By a pillar of cloud you led them in the day, and by a pillar of fire in the night, listen, listen, to light for them the way in which they should go. To light for them the way in which they should go. The faithfulness of God to lead his people. And to keep them in the midst, listen, of their wanderings. Anybody here wander? God is faithful to keep us in the midst of our wanderings. Why? Because he's merciful and loving and kind. And we know that he supernaturally provided for them water and food. He fed them. He kept them, verses thirteen through twenty-one recount then their disobedience in the wilderness. Repeated disobedience and God's repeated mercy toward them. Verse sixteen through twenty-one. Let me read it to you again. But they and our fathers acted presumptuously. Anyone here ever act back presumptuously with God? Anyone here ever take for granted the mercy of God? I do. I think this is what broke my heart as I was preparing and studying. I thought, oh, God, I'm so presumptuous with your mercy. You have been so good to me, Lord. How can I ever be presumptuous with it? They acted presumptuously, and they stiffened their necks and did not obey your commandments. They refused to obey, and they were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them. But he says it again, but they stiffened their necks, and they appointed a leader to return them to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. And and I love this, and you did not forsake them. Even when they made for themselves a golden calf and said, this is our God, who brought us up out of Egypt and had committed great blasphemies, you in your great mercy did not forsake them in the wilderness. Forty years of wandering. Brothers and sisters, we know the story well. Characterized by what? Great faith. No. Repeated unbelief. Repeated unbelief. The writer says two times that they were stiff-necked. They stiffened their neck. Have you ever seen a child or a teenager's stiff necked with a stiff neck it's that rebellious spirit that says you can't tell me what to do and when you see it you recognize it for what it is it's rebellious rebelliousness this is what Israel was continuing to exhibit in their attitude toward God questioning God doubting God complaining to God, acting presumptuously with God. And of course, the greatest and gravest sin, the creating of the golden calf and worshiping an idol. How could Aaron do this? Because Moses was gone long enough for Aaron to become afraid. Afraid of what? Of the people. The fear of man. The fear of man. Most of them we know died in the wilderness. Having never entered the land. But overall, listen. As a people, God remained faithful to them in covenant. The covenant that he had made with whom? Abraham. and he kept a remnant because he was faithful to his promise to Abraham. He did not abandon them; they abandoned him. Verses 22 through 25 is the account of him them entering the land and conquering the land. Listen to this again, and you gave to them kingdoms and peoples and allotted to them every corner so they took possession of the land. You multiplied their children Thank you, Lord, for our children as the stars of heaven and you brought them into the land that you had told their fathers to enter and possess. You did, Lord, you did what you told them you would do so that descendants went in and they possessed the land and you subdued before them the inhabitants of the land. You see, the emphasis is on the Lord giving them the land, not on any man, even Joshua. Joshua is not even named here. The emphasis is on the Lord. It was the Lord that did this. I put a quote up by one man in one of the commentaries, if you could put it on the screen for me. He says, this is typical of Old Testament tradition. People were important only insofar as the Lord had used them. The real conqueror of the land was the Lord. He fulfilled his will through the history of his people. None of us are important. He's important. He was the one who conquered the land, he was the one who gave them the land, who brought them in to possess it. And so he alone receives the glory. Verses 26 through 31 recount, again, listen, the unfaithfulness of Israel. In the land now. We've already seen the unfaithfulness of Israel in the wilderness. Now we hear the unfaithfulness of Israel after they entered the land. Therefore you gave them into the hand of their enemies, verses 27 to 28, who made them suffer. And in the time of their suffering, they cried out to you, and you heard them from heaven. And according to your great mercy, you gave them saviors. These were the judges who saved them from the hand of their enemies. But after they had rest, they did evil again before you. And you abandoned them again to the hand of their enemies so that they had dominion over over them. Yet when they turned and cried to you yet again, you heard from heaven. And many times you delivered them according to your mercies. You see, the central theme of this prayer is seen so clearly in these verses. It's the contrast between the Lord's loving care and the disobedience of his people. And the attitude of the people in these verses is laid out clearly in its terrible reality. They killed, they literally killed the prophets whom God sent in his kindness to them to warn them. They were presumptuous of the mercy of God They were disobedient to God's commands. They were stubborn and stiff-necked and they committed great blasphemies. Verse 30 through 31 says, many years you bore with them and you warned them by your spirit through your prophets, yet they would not give ear. Therefore, you gave them into the hand of the peoples of the lands." And then it says this, and I've got this highlighted and underlined in my Bible. Nevertheless, in your great mercies, You did not make an end of them or forsake them, for you are a gracious and merciful God. Nevertheless, in your great mercies, you did not make an end of them. Oh, how deserving we are of God to make an end of us. Apart from his grace and mercy. Jeremy Walker says this, if you could put this up for me, please. I love this. He says, true repentance grows in the gospel soil of God's sovereign grace. Its roots comprise both biblically informed grief over sin and biblically informed apprehension of God's mercy in Christ. Its trunk and branches are turning from sin and turning to God. Its fruit is the endeavor for new obedience and full dependence upon the Holy Spirit. We can't preach the grace of God without preaching the mercy of God as well. The grace of God can only be fully understood, apprehended, and realized when we realize that we haven't gotten what we really deserved. God has been so good to us, brothers and sisters. Some of you may have very hard lives, I know. Some of you have suffered great griefs, I know. All of us have periods of struggle, yes. But God has been so good to us. So good to us. He continues to be. I was talking to a young man the other night who just got back from Uganda and uh, sitting at a table with him, and he's been back about a week and a half. And he was talking about how difficult it is for him to be back here after having been there and seeing the incredible poverty and seeing the amazing joy and thankfulness in the hearts of impoverished people. And coming back to the abundance and the complaining of the wealth in America. It's shameful. And yet I find that I fall into that myself. Grumbling and complaining if I have to wait too long in line. To buy something that I can afford, that I may not even need, but that I can buy. We have to keep things in perspective. And the Word of God helps us to do that. Helps us to apprehend the mercy of God fully. I want to come in for a landing, and we just have to say that verses 32 through 37 really are just his confession now, the writer's confession of sin. Now, therefore, verse 32 says, our God, the great, the mighty, the awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love, love, let not all the hardships seem little to you that has come upon us. See, that's our prayer for this nation. We're living in a difficult time right now as believers. It's gonna become harder and harder. This is the kind of prayer we need to pray when we pray on our, we, our fasting time. Even as we pray for the building that God wants to give us, there are things beyond that that God will put in our hearts that we will pray for. Let not all this hardship seem little to you that has come upon us, upon our kings, our princes, our priests, our leaders, our fathers and your people. You have been righteous in all that has come upon us. We've been murdering unborn children. We deserve whatever we get. But God, please be merciful to us again. You have dealt faithfully, we have acted wickedly. Forgive us, Lord. You have been righteous. Brothers and sisters, the mercy of God is through this whole chapter so powerfully. And when we understand the mercy of God, I truly believe that it will drive us to deeper devotion. You would do well, we would do well, I would do well to take time and meditate on how undeserving we are at times. Not to beat ourselves up. There's a difference between saying I'm unworthy. I'm not saying I'm saying I'm worthless when I say that. Unworthiness is not worthlessness. But you and I would do well to dwell on the fact that we are unworthy of the grace of God, that God in his great mercy has withheld from us what we really truly deserved and what we probably will deserve tomorrow. Because we are yet dealing with in our own bodies, in our own hearts, in our own minds the effects of sin and the fallenness of Adam and it's not finished yet. Can I have the musicians come back up please and close with music with worship but let me remind you of Titus 2 this is a text that we memorized a number of years ago I'm going to read it to you out of a different translation verses 11 through 14 For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. And we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, with righteousness and devotion to God while we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ will be revealed. He gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us and to make us his very own people, totally committed to doing good deeds. We're gonna come to the table of the Lord together right now. This is the mercy seat of God. The Ark of the Covenant was covered with gold, thick gold cover on it. It was on that cover of gold that they would throw the blood when they made sacrifice. It's called the mercy seat. It was called the mercy seat. Paul calls Jesus Christ in the book of Romans the mercy seat of God, the propitiation of God. It's the mercy seat. It's where sin was atoned for. We're going to come to the table of the Lord, to the mercy seat of God together today.